Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who contribute to building a more cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients, team members, and the larger world. I am so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact. They're inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. For ongoing inspiration and support to get clear on your impact and put it into action, enter your name and email at workalchemy.com. Today's guest in this podcast series on impact is Seth Godin. Seth is the author of 17 books that have been bestsellers around the world and have been translated into more than 35 languages. He writes about the post-industrial revolution, the way ideas spread, marketing, quitting, leadership, and most of all, changing everything. You might be familiar with his books, Lynchpin, Tribes, The Dip, and Purple Cow. In addition to his writing and speaking, Seth has founded several companies, including Yo-Yo Dine and Squidoo. His blog, which you can find by typing Seth into Google, is one of the most popular in the world. In 2013, Seth was inducted into the Direct Marketing Hall of Fame, one of three chosen for this annual honor. Recently, Seth once again set the book publishing world on its ear by launching a series of four books via Kickstarter. The campaign reached its goal after three hours and ended up becoming the most successful book project ever done this way. His latest, The Icarus Deception, argues that we've been brainwashed by industrial propaganda and pushes us to stand out, not to fit in. Welcome, Seth. I'm so delighted you're here on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you. Um, what is it that drew you about the work that you're doing now in particular? You've had such an amazing career, and it's been so varied. Could you tell us a bit about how you came into that and what it's, what it's meant for you in particular? Um, so summarize my life's work in one breath's worth. I'll try. <laughs> well, you could bring us up to the present day, at least in terms of what you're doing now and why that's important to you. When I was, uh, 16 or 17, I became a canoeing instructor up in Canada and discovered that teaching people, helping them see something about themselves that they hadn't seen before, helping people, uh, walk taller was my addiction. It was my thrill. It was the thing that I wanted to do. And along the way, uh, I've had many uh, side paths. I've started internet companies. I pioneered some things there. Uh, I was a book packager. I've managed and led people. But I kept coming back <clears throat> to this desire to turn on a light for people, to help them see what I'm seeing, uh, to help them become the person that they don't even believe they can become. And uh, so 18 books later, that's what I do. And most of the time now I'm working on the Alt-MBA, which is a very intense four-week workshop that we run for people all over the world uh, with uh, hands-on coaching, uh, 100 people at a time. Uh, and it's probably the single most effective on a person-by-person -person basis work I've ever done. 
That's awesome. Could you tell us a little bit more, a little bit more about that, the Alt MBA? Well, you know, I've run um, classes online with Skillshare that were very successful among their most popular, and with Udemy. What I discovered is that not just my classes, but all classes, almost no one finishes. Uh, my classes have a fifteen or twenty percent finish rate. Most classes have a one percent finish rate, and <clears throat> there's a reason for that. The reason is as soon as it gets hard. You, you quit because there's nothing at stake. So a lot of online learning has reached a lot of people, but it's become mostly entertaining. I wanted to figure out how to use forms of this media to actually change people. So we did the opposite of just about everything. Instead of a million people, we only have 100 people. Instead of it being open to everyone, you have to apply. Instead of being on your own, you have a coach. Instead of doing things alone, you're in a cohort of five people and 20 people. Instead of it being free, it's expensive. So by piling all of those things on top, we can create an environment where people can level up, where they can see the world differently. There's no video. It's all projects. You work together. You work alone. And at the end of a month, you've done 14 distinct projects in public that are harder than you could imagine. And what happens is when people get out the other end, they're exhausted, but they see themselves differently. And for me, that's what I set out to do every day. So I view it as a win. That sounds amazing. I know that your uh, your courses are incredibly well um, well used and well visited. So this sounds like a an amazing development process for people because as they're going through this pro- these projects collaboratively, they're growing into something new. They're shifting and changing, and uh, doing it publicly that old visibility thing that's that's a real challenge. Yeah, it's been super fun. So we've, we've done it for uh, five months, and I hope we'll get to keep doing it. That's great. Well, you started off basically answering one of the, the important questions I wanted to ask you, which was, how do you see the impact that you have in the world? And um, I think you summed that up so beautifully. Is there anything you would add to that, to what you said at first? Well, I, um, the world's scarcity and abundance ratios are changing all the time that it used to be there was scarce shelf space, but now there's Amazon, so there's infinite shelf space. used to be there was scarce uh, stuff to read and to look up. Now there's infinite amounts of content. When I think about the way I want to do my work, I would like to be measured not by who I changed, but by who the students I've had have changed, meaning how is it getting passed forward? I'm not trying to create an environment of scarcity. I'm trying to put into the world as many systems and levers as I can to let those concepts spread. That's, that's awesome. Is, there, are, is the work that you do now, is that a reflection of your values? This is one of the questions I've been asking people because I think impact is so integral uh, it, that values are so integral to your impact that it, it arises out of your values. Is that true for you? Is that how you think about it? I describe to people the output of everything we do. If you make something, there's only one reason, and that's to make a change happen. You could change somebody from someone who doesn't like jazz into someone who does. You could change someone who's lonely into someone who's not lonely. You could change somebody who's hungry into someone who's not hungry. But we make a change happen. 
you have to own that change. You have to do that change on purpose. I think it's a huge sellout and a disappointment to say, I just do this so I can make money. I think that what we each do is we change people we care about. And committing to the kind of change you want to make makes it far easier to stay on track. I love what you said about owning that change because it's not then a situation of, well, you just wander in and change something and you don't, you're not part of then what happens after that. There's That's res- right. We own it. And if you can't own it, don't do it. I have a real hard time with, you know, the people who said, well, I made cigarettes, but I'm not responsible for all the people who died. Or... Uh, I'm churning out a billion cookies a day, but I'm not responsible for the obesity problem. Well, yes, of course, everyone is responsible for their own actions. But marketing works. Storytelling works. We can change people. Who are you changing people into and why are you changing them that way? What's the most exciting example you can think of in your recent experience of somebody really changing something where you've been involved as as really the the person who's been a catalyst of that or or a project of your own? Well, let me talk about my friend Jacqueline Novogratz uh, and uh, also her colleague John Wood. Jacqueline uh, founded the Acumen Fund about 12 years ago. John Wood, about the same time, founded Room to Read. And they both set out to make change for people, not two, but for people who have so little. In the case of Acumen, it's about investing money in entrepreneurs who do business with the poorest people on earth. And as a result, millions and millions of people have electric lights who didn't, have malaria bed nets who didn't, have an ambulance who didn't before. But more important, it changes the culture. Because if people who have never had anything see change happen, they are more likely to want to make more change happen. And in John's case, he's raised a quarter of a billion dollars to build schools and libraries in villages that have never had a school and never had a library. And the lever there is really profound because it's not a building. It is an agent for change. Because if you teach five-year-olds and 10-year-olds how to read, their lives will be different forever, and so will their children's lives and their children's children's lives. And what you end up with then is this virtuous cycle of positive change. Yeah, that's fantastic to hear, especially how much how much impact they're having and how many people they're reaching with that. It's fabulous. I've been involved in uh, working with a foundation in South Africa called the Good Work Foundation, and their mandate is they've created a digital model for learning in rural spaces. And I've been working with the micro entrepreneurs there, and it's profound the effects in those kind of environments when you go in and and offer a a uh, service like that or or uh, knowledge like that. So um, that's amazing that they've been able to do that kind of work. In in terms of, of acumen, are you still involved with that? Is that something you continue oh, yeah. to work I, with? Oh, yeah. I work with them almost every day. Hmm. That's fantastic. What uh, how What's your role in that? How are you? So uh, here's here's the challenge you have. The challenge is it's not enough to have a solar lantern or a water purif- purification system. It needs to be sold because this is not aid, it's trade. It works because people are choosing it. And people who make $3 a day are as capable of making a choice as people who make $3 a second. But if you go into a village with 
reading glasses, uh, as Vision Spring does, and you approach someone who needs reading glasses, and you're selling them for $3, and you can see that the person has $3, you might be stunned to discover that two-thirds of the people don't buy the glasses. Well, why is that? Well, that's what I spend a lot of time on, understanding the narrative that people tell themselves about the choices that they make. And it's not just in Borelli, India, that people make bad choices. It's also in Newark, New Jersey, or Scarsdale, New York, that we have a narrative in our head that makes us eat a bag of potato chips even when we're not hungry, or we have a narrative in our head that makes us go to an expensive college even though we don't want to spend our life in debt. This narrative, this flaw, this bug in our marketing system is something that you can have exploited by someone who wants to take advantage, or it's something you can use to make positive change happen. So if I'm able to meet with an entrepreneur or a funder and help them see this and help them figure out how to get more people to embrace this change, then everything works better. Mm. That's great. Is, uh, how did this, I mean, everything you do is so profoundly linked to this idea of changing things for the better and um, owning that change. Did your desire to, to have impact, to be an agent of positive change, is that something that you've always felt or has it evolved over time? Um, well, the good news is I won the parent lottery. Um, <laughs> But the fact is, lots of people won the parent lottery. The question is, what are you going to do after that? And um, both my parents have passed away, and I miss them every day. But a lot of where this started was inspired by and in tribute to them. My dad ran the United Way in my town uh, one year. My mom was the first woman on the board of the art museum. But, and I think it's a huge but, we're surrounded by people who say, well, I'll do that later, or I just need to make a living now, or I can't possibly lead or connect because my boss won't let me, or I wasn't born that way. And I just don't buy it because I've been studying leaders my whole life. And what I know is that they're short and tall and fat and skinny and they stutter and they speak well and they're attractive and they're unattractive. And the only thing they have in common is that they lead. And you know, I never met Gandhi, but I'm guessing that the Mahatma didn't come across to most people as somebody who was just completely off the charts. He was merely someone who cared. And caring is open to more of us than ever before because we have the leverage. You know, we can go to goodworkfoundation.org, see the page, click the button, volunteer, engage, tell a story, hear a story, send some money. We can do that right now. And if we don't do it, that's choice. I love what you said about um, being someone who cares and that being so integral to leadership. It's, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think Gandhi likely wasn't a huge presence, a big presence, but he certainly was a profound one. How do you bring leadership into situations that, that you're involved with? So I did a workshop recently about leadership and I think the first thing to understand is that leadership and management are different things uh, management is telling people what to do and hoping you'll get what you got yesterday <laughs> but faster and cheaper we need management there would be no fast food without it 
but that's not leadership. Leadership is saying, I think we should go over there. I don't know how to get there. Will you help me? And that requires enrollment. It requires figuring out if your goals and expressions are aligned with other people. It's inviting people to come along with you. You can't force them to follow you. That's management. You can invite them to follow you. And my job is not to be the person like Jacqueline or John who shows up every day, day after day after day in a dependable, persistent way. I don't have the attention span to do that. My job is to disrupt things, to notice things, to speak up when no one is expecting it. Uh, and if I'm in a room where there's no enrollment for that, then I don't go back because they don't need me. But if I'm with people who are seeking the kind of energy and impact I am, then I've added some value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things that I particularly uh, value about you is that you're such an innovative thinker and you're not afraid to just say what you feel about a particular situation and it's the disruption is what really gets people thinking. Well, let's be fair here. Number one, uh, I don't have more good ideas than other people. I just have more bad ideas (laughs) than other people. Uh, And that's where the good ideas come from. That if you're not willing to have bad ideas, you're not going to have good ideas. And number two is uh, I think it's a mistake to say that someone like me isn't afraid to speak up. I am very afraid to speak up, but I do it anyway. That's a great thing to hear because... uh... I mean, it's something we all deal with. There's discomfort around doing something like that. And it's the difference is if you just walk through it anyway and just do it. Do you talk about the impact that you want to have with your, with your clients, with people you're actively working with? Um, well, uh, I don't have any clients. I just show up sometimes, but no one pays me to. Uh, I don't do any consulting. If I did, I would be very, very clear about the change that's on the table because that's where enrollment comes from. What I don't do is say that I have something for everyone. I turn down most of the speaking gigs I get offered. uh, And because I'm fortunate enough to have other things I can do, I can be picky. But even before that, the way I became fortunate was by being picky, by saying, no, I can't do that for you that if we are going to be reactive as a freelancer and take whatever comes along, we're at the mercy of our clients. But if we choose our clients, we've chosen our future. Yeah, that's a really profound concept because everyone who's at least starting a business, people tend to feel like, oh, I got to take whatever there is. And the people that can really hone in on where they can be of great value and have a great connection with their clients, they're the ones who tend to do much better. So That's right. Yeah. Have you run into obstacles or barriers or problems in making the impact that you want to have? And would you share what one of those was and how you, how you addressed it, how you walked through that? Oh, every day. I mean, I don't even make enough impact on myself. Um, you know, there's, it, it's one thing to intellectually understand what is possible. It's quite another to emotionally connect with others or with ourselves to help us overcome our habits and our resistance and our fear. Uh, I don't think I've ever batted 
close to 100%. If I give a speech to 1,000 people and 20 of them have me get under their skin and make an influence on their life, that's a huge win, right? Because we are constantly surrounded by messages of how we could change. And so we have a suit of armor to keep ourselves from changing. I need to persist. I need to be consistent. I need to be generous. And I need to forgive myself if it doesn't work. That's uh, that's a great recipe for getting stuff done. Is the resistance that you run into, the fear that you have when you're dealing with a new situation or a difficult one? How do you how do you work your way through that? Do you have a process that you use, or do you, is each one unique? So the resistance term comes from my friend Steve Pressfield, who wrote a fabulous book that I highly commend everyone to called The War of Art. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky enough to publish the sequel called Do the Work. And um, the resistance is writer's block. The resistance is anxiety. The resistance is that feeling that we don't feel like it. And what I do is try very hard not to make it go away because you can't make it go away. What I try to do is use it as a compass. If it's pushing me not to do something, that's what I do. So even if you're running into what feels like um, something that you really wanted to do and you're getting this resistance, then you turn from that? Is that, how you, is that what you're saying? Am I understanding Well, that? I turn into it. Okay. I don't turn from it. I turn into it. Okay. Right? So if you're saying to yourself, I'm not sure I want to bring this up in the speech I'm about to give, or I'm not sure I want to write that blog post because somebody's going to misunderstand it, then I do it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, do the thing you fear the most, sounds like. is a is Yeah, a... I mean, there are things I fear the most for good reason. There's different kinds of fear, mm -hmm. right? So I... I fear falling off an 80-story building, so I'm not going to go tightrope across it. Right. It's, it's good to fear falling off an 80-story building. What you have to figure out how to differentiate is good fear like that with the bad fear of some stranger might not like me. Well, there are already strangers who don't like me. So helping my readers and my audience move forward in exchange for having a stranger not like me seems like a good trade. <laughs> That's great. Do you have any particular advice or insights that you would share with a business owner that's asking themselves, how can I have a positive impact? How can I infect my environment in the larger world? Well, I think the key is to get rid of the word larger. Change 10 people. Change five people. Change three people. If you can change five people in a way that makes them ask for more and tell their friends, you're on your way. That the first year I was blogging, maybe I had 200 readers. That's all. Everyone starts with 200 readers. That is so great to hear that that's, it's, I mean, it's an obvious fact. We all start with, with the beginning, the zero, the small number of people and grow from there. Did you have a, a sudden jump in the number of folks that were, were reading what you were writing, or was that a gradual building? Nope, there was never a jump. Mm -hmm. There was never a big break. There was never, uh, I got picked. Never happened. Right. Yeah, I think that's important to hear, too, because that process can be long and uh, require, as you said, persistence and consistency. Um, 
other and other- it's and let's be really clear it's probably not going to work it's probable that your blog will never have a million readers it's probable that your book will never be a bestseller it's probable that you will not be elected president of the united states you should still do the work it's the work that's the most important thing that's why we do it right yeah. i mean the fact is by any measure everyone has failed with everything they do. Every Bob Dylan record is a failure because not everyone bought it, not everyone liked it. So should he not make the record? How many people would have to like it for it to be worth making? Right? You make the record because the act of making the record is your privilege. The act of making the record is why you're here. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you, Seth, so much for joining me today. This has been uh, an amazing uh, conversation, and I know that people are going to really uh, benefit from hearing this. I feel inspired, and uh, you, you always inspire me to go out and take action regardless of, of what's going on. So I thank you so much for, for being here and for joining us. Well, we're so lucky you're doing this. I hope you'll keep it up. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you. If people want to join in, uh, connect with you in some way, what's the best way to do that? Well, I hope they won't send me email. But <laughs> if, if they want to find me, they should just type Seth into Google. And there I am. Great. And your, your blog is amazing. So I really uh, encourage people to, to read that if you, you aren't doing that already. So, so thank you again, Seth, for your time. Really thank appreciate you, it. Join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone listening for being here. Until next time, to keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by entering your name and email at workalchemy.com.